May God bless the children and those that teach them as well. Amen? Praise the Lord. If you would like to open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12, um, somebody asked me this morning, Pastor, I wasn't here the last couple Sundays. How'd you get from Romans chapter 2 to Romans chapter 12 so quickly? Well, this is not part of the Romans series. It's a standalone message just for you, just for today. As most of you know, on the last Sunday of January, every year our church holds our annual business meeting which we will do right after this worship service. Every year, we use that time to discuss how our Lord is blessing and sustaining His church and also focus upon the challenges that are ahead for us in order to accomplish the work that our Lord has brought us together to accomplish for His glory. So in this message this morning, I want to ask and answer three questions. To remind us of who we are in Christ, what our purpose is, and how we can work together to glorify Christ. So let me pray for us once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious time of fellowship, of worship, enjoying the Lord's Supper together. And now, Father God, feed us the bread of life, your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin by asking, who are we? Or what is the church? What is the church? Well, the Westminster Confession of Faith states it this way. The church is the community of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So the church consists of all who were chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son through his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection, and who have been born again by the Holy Spirit and gathered together into the one body of Christ. Note, there is one body of Christ. The church is not a building, or a business, or an organization. The church are those who are loved by God, and who love God and one another as a result of being made one in Christ. The writers of the New Testament scriptures use several analogies to describe the church. Some of these will be familiar to you. It is described as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, light in the darkness, salt of the earth, the family of God, a temple of God, the bride of Christ, and the body of Christ. It is this last one, the body of Christ, that I wish to focus our attention upon today. So if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of our text? I'm going to be reading Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. 
This is the word of God. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. Now this morning, we're going to focus just on verses 4 through 6, but I wanted you to hear the entire context of this passage. So what is the church? It is the body of Christ upon the earth. This is such an important image for the church because it pictures us as an organic organism made up of many living parts, each distinct and each dependent upon the others. Paul uses this analogy in at least five of his letters, mentioning it in ten separate passages. I want to remind you of just a few of these. In 1 Corinthians 12, which David read a portion of earlier, verses 12 through 14, we read this, For just as the body is one, And has many members, speaking of the human body, your body is one. There's only one of you, you know. But it has many parts, many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we've all been baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. One body, many diverse parts, right? Liver cells are completely different than bone cells, which are completely different than muscle cells, which are completely different than brain cells. Although some people tend to have knuckle cells in their brain, right? We call them knuckleheads, right? No, just kidding. Each one of those cells is different, unique. But guess what? Any one of those cells taken from my body, from any part of my body, will have the same DNA. Same thing with the church. He goes on in verse 27 to say, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are an individual but you are a member of the whole. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here again, we're told we are the body of Christ. Christ is not on the earth physically right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he is on the earth physically. In us, 
his church. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That statement is both inclusive yet exclusive. Okay? It's inclusive in that as I look across this room, there's a lot of different people in here. No two are alike. And yet we've all been included in the body of Christ. But it is also exclusive because only those who are born again by the blood of Christ are included in the body of Christ. And then Colossians 1, 16 through 18. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created, all things were created through him and for him, and he is the head of the body, the church. So in case all those other passages, you're thinking, well, maybe it's not talking about the church, it's talking about the church. We are the body of Christ. So the risen Christ, the Son of God, the creator of all things, is the head of the church which is his body on this earth. This is who we are. We are the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. You don't want to be outside of the body of Christ. You want to be a part of the body of Christ. This analogy underscores three characteristics of the church that I want to touch upon just briefly this morning. Unity, Diversity and mutuality. Unity. As I said earlier, all members of one body. All members of Christ through faith in Christ. All indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. Therefore, all meant to be united in our purpose. That purpose being to glorify God. Together, while we're on this planet. I've shared before the fact that I've been to other places in the world, other countries, and met brothers and sisters in other places. And you know what? There is an instant connection. There's a bond there. Even if we don't speak their language, there's a connection there. Because the same Holy Spirit who dwells in me dwells in them. And the same is true here. We are different, we are distinct, we are unique. Or as I used to call it, uniqueue. And yet we are one in Christ. So there's unity. There's also diversity. Because God created each one of us to be unique and different. We've got a precious child here, five weeks old. God himself created that child in his mother's womb. God knit that child together to be exactly who God needs that child to be. The same is true with each one of us. F.F. Bruce writes this, Diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It is so in nature, it is so in grace true, too and nowhere more so than in the Christian community. 
Here are men and women with the most diverse kinds of lineage, environment, temperament, and capacity. Not only that, but since they became Christians, they've been endowed by God with a great variety of spiritual gifts as well. Yet because and by means of that diversity, all can cooperate for the good of the whole and for the glory of God. I mean, that says it in a nutshell. You are not supposed to be me. I am not supposed to be you. You look to your left and right at your brothers and sisters. You're not supposed to be them. But you can't get by without them. They are vital to the health of the body of Christ and to the plan of God for his church. And so third, there is mutuality. We are individually members of one another. That's what it says. We're not only members of Christ, but we're members of one another, as if we are cells in the same body. Each of us belongs to and needs the other brothers and sisters that make up this local expression of the body of Christ. We are actually to be inter- dependent upon one another. Paul spends an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 driving home this very point. Just as our human body needs every diverse cell, so we need every diverse member of the body of Christ if we are to do well and glorify Christ as we should. Each member is needed. Each member is unique. So the church is not a place for lone rangers. For those who want to be independent. Dependent on no one but themselves. That's not what the church is. It is instead a place for interdependence with each dependent upon all the others. And this is what is lacking in so many churches. So what is the church? It is us. So what is our purpose? That's the second question I want to ask and answer. What is our purpose as the church? Look back at verse 6 with me. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on to give a short list of gifts here. There's actually four different lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. This is not meant to be all-inclusive. It's not at all. But again, the point is, we have each been given individual personalities, individual talents and abilities, and individual spiritual gifts. So that we are each to play an active role using our gifts, talents, and abilities to work together to build up the church and accomplish the work, the purpose for which we've been called into his church. Some of you know I love Mark Dever. He's the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. One of his books... Um, the church, the gospel made visible. In that book, he writes this. The church's purpose is the worship of God, 
the edification of the church and the evangelism of the world. Now, Pastor Mark Dever wrote this book in 2012, and it's almost as though he read the purpose statement for our church. Our church purpose statement calls us to exalt the Lord, edify the body, and evangelize the lost. This is how we as a church can glorify God. So again, I want to look just briefly at these three parts of our purpose statement, which go together, I might remind you. They're not separated. It's three parts of our purpose statement. So first, to exalt the Lord. We've been doing that already this morning. We exalt our Lord through our worship of Him. Worship occurs both in the context of the assembled congregation and in our individual worship of God in our daily lives. Shaping and encouraging both corporate and individual worship are significant aspects of the church's purpose. God Himself tells us in His Word how He wants to be worshipped. And the church teaches us that. The worship of God in the assembled congregation consists of particular elements that are expressly prescribed by God in His Word. And you've heard me say this before. Ligon Duncan summarizes what elements should be included in corporate worship with the motto, read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. By seeing the Bible, he's referring to the celebrations of baptism and the Lord's Supper when done according to the Bible. When we come together, we come together to exalt the Lord as we have already today and are continuing to do so. Second, we are to edify the body. Edify means build up, strengthen. The church itself is intended by God to be a means of grace to its members. It is one of the God-ordained means that His Spirit uses to build up, encourage, and strengthen His people. So part of the purpose of the church is to encourage and build up individual believers in their faith and in their relationship to Christ. To help us to grow in grace and knowledge. And make no mistake, each and every one of us are called by God for the work of the ministry. You know where I'm going with this. Ephesians 4 11 through 16. Let me read that to you. It won't be on the screen. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Paul writing to the church. And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So you've heard me say this before. I am not the minister of this church. I'm a shepherd, a shepherd elder, an elder teacher, and I am a minister, but so are you. 
each and every one of you, according to this passage. My role, Don's role, Eric's role, Rob's role, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You're the ministers, ministering one to another. For what purpose? To edify the church, to build up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's when we can stop. When every single member is perfectly conformed to Jesus Christ. That means we can stop when? Never. Until Christ returns and we're all conformed to Christ. Amen? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So whose job is it? Whose responsibility is it to see every member of this church grow into conformity with Christ? It is our responsibility, every one of us. God has you here. You're here right now. You're here today by the will of God. And you're a part of this fellowship by the will of God. We achieve this through teaching and preaching the word of God, through small group studies and interactions through our men's and women's and youth ministry, through discipleship, through body ministry. Every member of the church needs to be edified and every member of the church needs to be involved in edifying others. That is our calling. Now, we are also to be involved in evangelizing the lost. The third part of our purpose statement. We have been given the tremendous privilege and responsibility to proclaim the gospel to those who are spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. You might say we are God's heralds. We are God's hands extended in love. We have been saved by the gospel of grace and we've been given that gospel to give it to others. How can they hear of the Savior unless someone tells them? They need to hear the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel proclaims that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the penalty of sin is spiritual death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? They need to hear that. How will they hear unless we tell them? The lost cannot come to Christ except by someone who knows the gospel proclaiming these truths to them. Therefore, it is one of the purposes for the church to equip the saints for the work of evangelism, encouraging them and sending them out. So, we are to exalt the Lord, edify the body, and evangelize the lost. That brings me to the third question. What can we do to achieve these goals? Or maybe I should say it this way. 
What can you do to help achieve these goals? Because remember, verse 6 says, having gifts that differ, let us use them. There's the key. Use them. You might think to yourself, oh, pastor, I don't have any gift. God says you do. So you do. And if you come together, God will use you as a blessing to others in the body of Christ. God saved each one of us with the intention of our being an active part of the church, the body of Christ. Having an active role, each one of us to participate I would say, as much as is possible. Now, can everyone be as active as everyone else? No, we realize that. Okay? But some choose to think, oh, I'll come to church for an hour or two on Sunday morning, and that's enough. And I'm challenging you to say, no, that's not enough according to God's word. Each of us are to participate as much as possible. Be connected. Be engaged. Be praying. Be encouraging. Be giving to the work. Using our gifts for the purpose of building up the church. Building up one another. So, I'm going to give you a list of some things that you should do as members of the body of Christ. This list is not meant to be exhaustive. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing the list. You will see that you know the things I am saying to you are not only true, but they're true because they come out of God's word. So, first, you should become a member. You should enter into the covenant of membership, just as Terry and Mary did last Sunday. What a joy to welcome in new members into the body of Christ. Second, you should attend all the services, meetings, and events that you can. Now again, I understand some people have work schedules, some people have children, some people have travel, okay? So all can't attend all. I get that. I understand that. But is it our heart to attend everything we can, to be as connected as we can be. Because that benefits us, and it benefits the whole. Number three, get involved in a small group. We have small groups. We have home fellowship groups. We have a women's Bible study. We have a men's study. It's in those places that we really get connected to one another, okay? We get connected in those small groups. I mean, right now, there's, you know, there's probably 90 to 100 of us in this room, okay? And there's, you know, 40 feet of separation, right? Between the ones over here on my right and the ones over here on my left, right? You may not know this person over here. And most people tend to sit in the same places, don't they? So it's difficult to really make those connections. 
until you're in a smaller group, a smaller setting. Then you meet people. We had a work day last Saturday, and, I, and some of the men got to know Terry because he was working with them, and I heard nothing but wonderful things. They would not have gotten to know Terry, and he wouldn't have gotten to know them, except they were working together. Fourth, we need each one to serve as they are able. Again, understand, different people can do different things. Some people can't be here for work day because they've got sciatica or they're recovering from surgery, okay? Or they're just not physically able. I get that. But if you can be, we need you to serve. Again, we don't want any part of our body to stop functioning, do we? Okay? Nobody wants kidney failure. Nobody wants liver failure. Nobody wants a part of their body to stop contributing, right? It's the same thing with the body of Christ. We are the individual members, and we need to be contributing to the work. One way we can do that, number five, is pray. Pray for the church. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the members. There's a new directory available to you that Noreen just spent this last week publishing and copying and stapling and folding, and it's being handed out today. Know who the members are and pray for them. They will appreciate your prayers, and you will appreciate their prayers. Amen? Pray for the church. Next, give financially to the Lord's work. Invest in the kingdom of God. I don't need to go any further with that, do I? Everything that is, is His. Right? We used to sing that, a little kid's song. Everything that is, is His. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's His. And so we need to give as He commands to support the work. The work cannot happen without it because each member is to contribute. We should have not a single member that doesn't give something financially to the church. That's the way God designed it to be. And last, we need to actively invite others to come and experience Christ's church, to come and experience the wonderful Christian family fellowship we have here. Amen? Let me tell you something, folks. I've been saved for going on 54 years. Half of that time has been spent at Christian Family Fellowship, and I'm so blessed by it. It'll be 27 years this year. So half my Christian life. And in the previous 27 years, I was a part of many churches not one of them even close to what we have here. What a blessing to be a part of this fellowship, this family of Christians. Amen? So tell others about it. Invite them. We have to grow the church. We can't accomplish the mission that God has given to us unless we grow. We have to grow. 
and all of us should be recruiters. So we have something very special. We are part of this local expression of the body of Christ. We are Christians. We're a family in Christ. And we are a fellowship of believers committed to glorifying God by living together and working together in love just as He intended us to do. We are so very blessed to be chosen and to be directed by our Lord to be a part of something much bigger than we can imagine. We are a shining light in this community. We're a shining light in this present darkness. A beacon of love and grace and hope in a lost and dying world. And my prayer is that you will join with us in working towards the goals that our Lord has given to us. The goals that He has given to His church, His body. That we would exalt Him, we would edify the body of Christ, and we would evangelize the lost. We need you to participate in that work. And that is why God has you here. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father,